0: Hello and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it.
1: Matthew 28 verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age.
2: Thank you. you? Yeah, that would be great, thank you.
1: Father, we thank you for our brother Jim as he comes to share with us what you've laid on his heart. Will you bless him and will you speak to us and give us obedient hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to be back with you. I often quote you as being such a trendy church that Jim, instead of saying turn in your Bibles," says turn on your Bibles." So yeah, I think that's pretty cool. But you know, if you're turning in your Bibles, that's great. So keep them open and we'll look at this passage and some others as we go along. It's great to, always great to be back with you. Since I was last here, I've now joined the regional team of the Southern Counties Baptist Association. That's a bit of a mouthful. I need to get used to saying that. Um, so I bring you greetings from the wider church family that you're part of, which is about 155 churches across the southern counties, and uh, you have this uh, connection with the other churches in the association. So it's great to bring you their greetings and I appreciate your prayers as I start this new role. And I'm particularly focused on mission development across our association, and so that's the theme I'm going to be speaking to you on today. Question for you. What was unique about the 2020 Olympics? Anyone know? That had never happened before. Wrong year. It was postponed. It's been cancelled before because of war, but it was the first time the Olympics were postponed, and they happened last year instead. And what you may not know is that the United States team were focusing and training particularly hard for one Event And it was the women's 4x100 metre relay. I wonder if you know or you can guess why that particular event meant so much to the American team. Well, the answer was that back in Rio in 2016, they should have won. They had the fastest four individual runners. They had the track record for the event. But something went wrong in the exchange zone. Lauren Williams, the third runner slowed down too early. She was fatigued from running an event the day before. And the fourth runner took off too fast and somehow between them, they, they dropped the baton. And the whole team was disqualified. You say, didn't they get any credit for the, for the first three legs of the race? Disqualified. Didn't their previous record count for anything? Disqualified. You see, if you don't pass on the baton, nothing else counts one of the most sobering verses in the whole bible is not all that well known it's not printed on christian bookmarks in christian bookshops and it's this judges 2 verse 10 when joshua and his generation died another generation arose that neither knew the lord nor the works he'd done for israel what an incredible verse Joshua was a hero of the faith. You read about him in Sunday school. He fought battles. He led the people across the river and took the promised land. Uh, as CVs go, it was pretty impressive. But when he died, it says that the next generation neither knew the Lord nor the works he'd done for Israel. So friends, my take-home message for you today is this. Churches can have the best-run community events and heavenly worship. uh, But if the next generation don't know God, it's dust between our fingers. Psalm 78, verse 3, stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors told to us. We will not hide these truths from the next generation. We will tell them of the glorious deeds of the Lord, of his power and his mighty wonders. Psalm 1454, One generation will commend your works to the next. And built into the fabric of Jewish society was this obligation to pass on the faith by word of mouth, father to son, mother to daughter. And the principle remained for thousands of years, even as recently as the turn of the 20th century in Britain. Life expectancy was 42. Today, Most of us can expect to live into our 80s. And life expectancy has doubled in just over 100 years. And one of the results is that we've lost the urgency of the gospel. People used to say when people died young, do they know the Lord? Now they say, oh, there's plenty of time. Plenty of time. We don't want to put pressure on people. And if we're not careful, we can drop the baton. I was reading the autobiography of Paul Scanlon. He was the one who started the Abundant Life Church in Bradford. Uh, I think it's now just called Life Church. And 12 years ago, he writes in his autobiography, they were a successful church. They had a couple of thousand people on a Sunday morning. They were on God TV. They were the flagship church of their denomination. And Paul Scanlon preached his sermon one day and he looked out on his congregation and he gave the blessing. And he noticed that everyone all the, all the ladies left their handbags under their chairs when they went for coffee. And he said, I realised that day just how safe our church has become. And so they bought some minibuses, and they, they started sending minibuses out to the, the nearby housing estates, and they started busing people into church from, from all walks of life. And he said it was bedlam. He said, he said no one felt safe. He said they didn't leave their handbags under their chairs, they clutched them to their chests. And, and they, they talked about the bus people. They said, are, are the bus people joining us today? And he said one of the elders who helped start the church, who I thought I'd grow old with, he, he came into my office on Monday morning, he said... He said, Paul, you've ruined our church. And Paul Scanner said to him, my dear friend, he said, if we haven't got anyone in our church who's likely to steal our stuff, then we're not really reaching out with the gospel. We're too safe. So I wonder if we're serious about becoming what Paul, what, what C.S. Lewis described as the only organization that exists primarily for the benefit of its non-members rather than being primarily self-serving, then maybe we need to rediscover the purpose of the church. Mark sixteen fifteen. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the good news. I've got some deep theology for you. You ready? The church is not the world. I told you it was deep. Jesus didn't say, go into the church and preach the gospel and hope that people wander in on a Sunday morning. He said, go into the world and preach the good news. I take a lot of funerals these days, about 100 year, in fact. And a little while ago, I was asked to take the funeral of a 16-year-old of a boy who had been murdered, been stabbed in Southampton. You may have read about it. And I, I drove into the crematorium and was just hit with this scene of a sea, a sea of young people. They'd canceled the uh, college that day hurting, broken, confused and I had a message in my pocket but honestly I did not know what to say that wouldn't sound trite and insensitive but do you know as I started to talk about Jesus who's close to the brokenhearted, who offers hope beyond this life I had this incredible realization they're hearing it for the first time never heard this before This was new information to them. Friends, we're in the exchange, zone. We need to be careful not to drop the baton. Because it's on our watch that young people experiment with sexuality earlier and earlier, desperate to belong and be loved and accepted. It's on our watch that human trafficking, the buying and selling of people, is the second biggest criminal industry today, second only to the arms trade according to UNICEF. If you thought slavery had been abolished in this country, you're wrong. So now I'll watch that Wicca, sort of popular version of witchcraft, is the fastest growing religion in Britain among under-18s. In fact, if you go on Amazon.com this afternoon when you get home, and if you click on toys and games, and then click on toys for all the family, you'll find this. Thanks, Nana. Ouija board, the classic board game. Experience the magical, mystifying game of Ouija. Just ask a question and Ouija will give you the answer. I don't know if you can see that on the bottom left. Great fun for ages eight and up. Just let that sink in. And as you think about that, think about this. In the year that I was born, 1980, 12% of the British population went to church. On a Sunday. Today, according to a recent survey by Tier Fund, it's less than 5%. So, church going is more than halved in my lifetime. And people assume it's going to keep going down. But no, we've been here before. Go back, thanks, that's great. Go back uh, 250 years to the end of the 18th century, and church going had declined to almost nothing. There were parts of the UK where there were no churches. And the consequences for society were huge. Gin drinking was out of control. 10,000 prostitutes on the streets of London. And the people of God said, this will not do. And God called Wesley. And God called Whitfield. And God called his people to stand up again for him and his way. A man called Robert Rakes said, children don't know the Bible. And he started the Sunday school movement. And within five years, half a million children were in church on a Sunday. Within a hundred years, it was 5.5 million. Almost every child in England went to Sunday school on a Sunday. Maybe the time has come again to get serious about our responsibility. The church is always one generation from extinction. And we're in the exchange zone. And in a post-COVID world, this is a moment. This is a moment in time. People are desperate for hope and meaning, and and they've been reassessing their lives. This is a moment. This is a moment to grasp or to let go by. And so Jesus rose from the dead. He gathered his disciples together and he gave them these words that we heard read. We sometimes call it the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And in English, it sounds like the most important word is go. Go. Go go out somewhere. Go, go and be a missionary somewhere. Go somewhere else. But actually, in the, in the original language, the word go is passive. It makes way for the main verb, which is make disciples. So, more literally you could read it, in your going, make disciples. Or, make disciples as you go. Where are you going already? What are you going to be doing this time tomorrow? God's called you to make disciples as you go. We don't all have to stand on a soapbox in the high street. In the Bible, there's a multitude of ways of making disciples. Yes, there's proclamation and some of us like to get up and Raise our voices. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and preached to the crowd. Great. But then there's also intellectual debate. Acts 17, Paul stood up, Paul chatted with the Athenian scholars and debated the faith. And if you have a debate about Christianity over the water cooler at work, then God can use that. Then there's testimony. Possibly the most powerful. John 9, the man said, I was blind and now I see. Deal with it. When was the last time you told someone your testimony? And then this invitation. John chapter 4. The woman went back to her village and she said, come with me. Come, let me bring you to hear someone who changed my life. We're not all called to be Billy Graham, but we are called to be a witness. You know, no one would accuse the queen of being a preacher, but she was a powerful witness. And we're each called to be a witness in our sphere of influence. When I was a youth pastor, I used to take school assemblies. And one day around September, I was asked to do a harvest assembly. And I had a message prepared, but just before the assembly, about two minutes before, the head teacher took me aside and he said, Jim, I'm just going to tell you something. He said, it's Ramadan at the moment and you know about 15% of the students are Muslims, so we don't want to offend anyone. So I don't want any mention of Jesus in your talk. And if you must pray, then just make it a generic prayer that everyone could agree with. So what am I to do? This is two minutes before the assembly. this is the head teacher, and'm going through in my mind i 'm thinking, well, he lets us come in and do a, a, a club in the school. We use their minibus for our youth camp. So I did what he was, did what he told me i just give a general talk about thankfulness, and I, I went home the next day. The senior pastor in the church I was in was to address the upper school. And he got the same message. no Jesus, general prayer. And uh, Harry stood in the middle of the school hall and he said, Children, I'm here in the name of Jesus Christ, whom to know his life. Let me pray to him now. And I, I felt ashamed. I felt, you know, it wasn't the Muslim families who were asking for this. This was just the politically correct head teacher. And I felt, you know, I learned that day, what it says in Proverbs, fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in God will be kept safe. But there's a balance, you see. There's a balance. Yes, we're called to speak the truth, but also 1 John 3.18 says, let us not just love with words, but in actions. And actions do speak louder than words. Week after that assembly, Ramadan, someone, this is in South Wales, someone left a pig's head on the doorstep of the local mosque and rung the doorbell and ran away. Clear message to that community, we don't want you in our town. So what were we to do as a church? If truth be known, there were a number of people in the church who agreed with the sentiment that this new mosque had been built and no consultation. They were worried about the, the influence of Islam in the town. And yet from the front of the church, we were preaching that God calls us to the good Samaritan, to be on the side of the oppressed and the marginalized, whoever they are. So we went down to that mosque and rung the doorbell and said, we're so sorry, can we we offer to help you clear it up? How can we serve you as our neighbors? And that's the tension of the gospel. Yes, we're called to stand strong against a a school system that encourages young people to uh, cheapen their sexuality younger and younger, but gracious and Loving to those who've fallen for that lie. Yes, we're called to stand against a a society where uh, seniors are afraid to leave their homes uh, late at night for for youths who, who hang on the street corners, but not by giving them an electronic tag, but by giving them something better to fight for. But, you know, we don't. We're too nice. We just sit back and perhaps, you know, talk among ourselves and how terrible the state of the world is, and yet God's calling us to be the answer to our own prayers. I play table tennis on a Monday night, and uh, the team I'm in, mean, sometimes uh, if, if they miss a shot, they'll say a swear word, and then they'll look over at me and say, oh, sorry, Reverend. <laughs> it's, you know, it's nice of them. But how do people get the impression that that's what we care about the most? You know, someone said, the world knows what Christians are against. It's about time they knew what we work for. Romans 10, 14 says, how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear unless anyone tells them? And if you're thinking, God couldn't possibly use me to preach to someone, let me remind you of the sort of people that God uses. I wonder if you can identify with these. Adam had a lack of self-control. Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar. Leah found she was unattractive to her husband. Joseph had been abused by family members. Moses had a speech impediment. Gideon had a problem with fear. Samson had a weakness for women. Jeremiah was too young, and David was a murderer, and Elijah was suicidal. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist ate bugs. The Samaritan woman had been divorced more than once. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. You've never done that, have you? Martha worried too much. Zacchaeus was too short. And Lazarus was dead. And God still used them. What's your excuse? You know, we have a God who delights in using the stones the builders rejected. There's no plan B. We are it. His church. We are it called to bring the hope to the world, to be his hands and feet, his voice, in a world, in a, what Philip Yancey calls a grace-starved world. A grace-starved world. 1 John 1, 27 says this, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the proud. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Is that good news for anyone today? It's not as if he uses those with reverent in front of their name and eventually runs out of people when he gets to you. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the proud. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Have you noticed that all of the parables about God's kingdom are about small things? Have you noticed? A grain of wheat, a mustard seed, a sparrow. They're all small things. And we can all do small things in our everyday life. How about looking the big issue seller in the eye and asking his name, perhaps share a sandwich. I don't mean get a sandwich from Marks and Spencers and toss it to the pavement while you get on with your busy day. I mean sit on the floor and you have half and he has half and ask his name and just give a bit of dignity and humanity. What about inviting the person who's socially awkward that no one invites to parties? What about inviting them round for a cup of tea or if you're going to the cinema or something, you know, just invite them with you. What about offering to pray for someone? I have this theory and it's pretty scary if it's true, I think it is. That people are more willing to be prayed for than Christians are willing to offer. Ouch. It's true. Would you dare to pray for an opportunity every week that God would give you to be a witness? Because if you pray it, if you make the invitation, the opportunities will come. Yesterday, I had a knock at the door. I was selling an old iPhone. We've got a new phone, and we're selling the old one. And uh, this girl said, can I come and pick it up for my daughter? She arrived at the door, and she had the word sinner tattooed across her head. Now, if that's not an opportunity, you know, <laughs> literally standing at your doorstep, you know, then you might as well pack up and go home. And incredible story. I said, oh, yeah. I'd seen her picture before she came." I said, "You must be the sinner." And uh, she said, "Oh, yeah. yeah if, you'd, if you'd know, I better not tell you the conversation, but it's a, a precious, precious conversation. There are opportunities every day. You know, you know, Joseph, Moses. I talked to you about Moses last time, didn't I? Moses saw the burning bush." Burning bushes were common in the, in the desert, but it said he noticed that this one was different and it didn't burn up. And, and opportunities are common, but you've got to have the eyes to notice that this one's different, that this is a moment. You know, could it be that you're walking down the street, there are, there are burning bushes to the left and the right, and, and you notice that this is an opportunity? It, God will give you an opportunity if you ask him. Okay, I'm going to start to come into land, but I want to leave you with a verse a story and a song, okay? The verse is this. It's a three-part evangelism course in 30 seconds. You ready? I'm sure if you spent a lot of money on evangelism courses, this will do it for you. 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Number one. Always be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Number two. But do it with gentleness and respect. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Don't try and go off and have a, a ministry. And, and, you know, some people, you know, it's, an, it's a bit of an excuse to go and get a load of leaflets printed and go and have a ministry because God's calling you to your primary ministry at home or with your walk with God. And, and it's in some ways working for God is a way of excusing yourself that you haven't dealt with stuff in your own heart. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, number one. Then, Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. How many opportunities are wasted, ruined, by Christians who don't do it with gentleness and respect? Especially on Facebook. The story is from Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher. And Kierkegaard tells lots of parables about geese. Because in Denmark, they often have goose for Christmas rather than turkey. And he used to rent a little barn where he used to sit and write his philosophy books. It was at the top of a valley, and at the bottom of the valley, there was a goose farm. And he said, I saw the same thing happen every year. In the spring, the goslings would hatch. And they would immediately look at the sky. For they were made to fly. And within days, they would start to... Uh, wander up and down on their little legs and start to try and flap their tiny little wings and they would, they would give out this little squawk. But then he said a lorry would arrive on the farm and unload a mountain of grain onto the farmyard, far higher than the goose could see. And then they stopped looking at the sky and they started to look at the floor and started to peck the grain. And God says as I, as I looked and as the weeks turned into months, the, these geese started to grow plump and bloated. For you see, these were table geese being fattened up for Christmas. And he said, after a while, I noticed that every time the grain, the mountain grain went down, another lorry would come and reload and, and they would just keep pecking the grain and they would grow bigger and bigger. And he said, after a while, I noticed they never looked at the sky and they never ran up and down on their legs, they never flapped their wings. And all day long, they just looked at the floor and pecked the grain except that is for one week every september when the wild geese would fly overhead and he said the sky would be filled with these migrating geese chasing the sun, looking for spring. And he said for the first time in months, the fat table geese would look up and they would see their wild cousins flying overhead. And for the first time in ages, they would sort of waddle up and down on their stumpy little legs and and try to flap their underdeveloped wings and and they would squawk. But then the wild geese would be gone and the table geese would look down again and just peck the grain. So my question for you is, are you a wild goose or a table goose? Are you willing to live by faith and not by sight? Are you willing to dare to believe that he is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine according to his power at work within you? Or have you kind of told yourself this script that this is the way things are always going to be now? Best years of my life are behind me. Well, it's a lie. His mercies are new every morning. He has a purpose To use the foolish things of this world to shame the proud. To use the weak things of this world to shame the strong. I don't know what living by faith means for you or your family or this church. But what it cannot mean is living within the bounds of our own expectations and gifts and experience. Whatever it means, it cannot mean that. And there's a lot of changes going on in church at the moment and maybe you're someone who struggles with change. But I wonder if you can hand it to God and say, Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you go. I'm willing to step out of the comfort zone, out of the control zone in order that I may be used to my fullest in the short days I have on this earth. The song is from Emily Sanday, the Scottish pop singer. She has a Christian background by the way, although this is not explicitly a Christian song, but the first time I heard it really moved me. You will have heard it before. It's often used on adverts. It was used in the final of Britain's Got Talent, Uh, but I wonder if you can hear it from this perspective of a call to mission. This is Read All About It. spent on do so, can I invite you to stand? Invite the group to join me. I just pray the oldest prayer of the church. Come Holy Spirit. Fill us your people. Remind us of who we are. Minus a few, you, you are stir our cold hearts. And I pray, Lord, that what's most important to you would become what's most important to us. for the things that are lower down on your agenda, that we are so stressed and anxious about, things that won't be remembered in a year from now, leave alone in eternity. May they drop down on our agenda 2 and i pray that in faith that however wherever whenever you call my answer in advance is yes thank you lord